Welcome to Aaron Menke's Cabinet of Curiosities, a production of iHeartRadio and Grim and Mild. Our world is full of the unexplainable. And if history is an open book, all of these amazing tales are right there on display, just waiting for us to explore. Welcome to the Cabinet of Curiosities. Humans are curious by nature. We're driven to explore our world and challenge what we know about our existence. Through the centuries, we've charted lands and oceans. We've invented and built a wide array of transportation methods to take us to faraway places. And not just horizontal travel. In 1953, two men reached the summit of Mount Everest. And in recent years, we've sent humans in submersibles through the Pacific Ocean's Mariana Trench. And then there's space. We've been to the moon and landed probes on Mars. Despite the jokes, the moon is not made of cheese, although the ancient Greeks did exile a philosopher for believing the moon was just a giant rock and not a god. Which reminds me, we've believed a lot of crazy things about the Earth over the years, and it's taken centuries to dispel a lot of those notions. But in early 1800s America, we were still exploring and had a lot of questions. Curiosity is a good thing, after all. Captain John Cleves Symes Jr. was a military captain who had served in the War of 1812. He was well-educated and well-read, but of all the subjects he'd studied, the one that interested him the most was the Earth. He wasn't a scientist by any means, although he had a few theories about our planet, and he thought we should explore them. He published a pamphlet explaining his theories in detail and had 500 copies made. Then he toured the United States and handed them out to scientists and politicians during his lectures. His theories were met with plenty of skepticism, and he turned to his societal connections to give him some credibility. He held a fundraiser for an expedition to the North Pole. If there was proper funding, he proposed, explorers would bring back all the proof necessary to back up his claims. And soon enough, he caught the attention of one politician in particular who had enough power to make his dream of exploration a reality, President John Quincy Adams. During his presidency, Adams established the Naval Observatory in Washington, D.C., which had drawn considerable ridicule. He'd also been instrumental in establishing the Smithsonian Institute. John Quincy was the eldest son of John Adams, the second president of the United States. Considered highly intelligent, he had attended top schools all over Europe, eventually earning admission at Harvard, where he graduated at the top of his class. And as a side note, Adams also loved to skinny dip and regularly swam nude in the Potomac River. It has no connection to our story, but if that little fact has to live inside my head, it gets to live inside yours as well. Like Symes, Adams loved the thrill of discovery and presented the project to Congress, But Congress didn't see the value in spending taxpayer dollars for such an endeavor, calling it ludicrous. At the time, though, presidents didn't need as much approval, and Adams overrode Congress and backed Symes' proposal anyway. Symes believed that the North and South Poles had deep caves, and he wanted to explore them. He estimated that 100 men would be sufficient to carry out the study. At the time, no one knew what minerals or metals they might find along the way. But John Quincy Adams didn't remain in office long, just one term. The next president, Andrew Jackson, had agreed with Congress that Symes' theories were ridiculous, and once he was in power, he immediately canceled the project. 
By then, however, Syme's health had begun to fail, and he was never able to garner attention for his theories again. Well, that's not exactly true. He may have inspired science fiction writers years later. And what exploration had the sixth president of the United States authorized? A journey to the center of the Earth. You see, while both Symes and Adams knew the Earth was round, they also believed that it was hollow. When we think of brilliant minds, we think of people like Leonardo da Vinci, Marie Curie, and Alan Turing, innovators who changed art, science, and every other way we understand our world. One mind, however, stands out as one of the greatest in his field. Albert Einstein was a man who is widely considered one of the most brilliant physicists to have ever lived. Just a mention of his name and one cannot help but think of his theory of relativity, E equals mc squared an equation that everyone knows, but few actually understand. However, Einstein did quite a bit of work before that. One of his earliest papers was written on the topic of capillary action. Anyone who has dipped a washcloth into a puddle of water and watched the liquid creep upward has witnessed capillarity. It's also called wicking, named for what happens when hot wax moved toward a lit candle wick. Einstein's article on it was published in 1901, and it explained his theory that a force like gravity was what attracted the water molecules up the sides of a tube. Unfortunately, his paper wasn't accurate, but it did set the stage for a breakthrough yet to come. Later, in 1905, Einstein tackled a concept that had stumped English botanist Robert Brown a few decades earlier. Back in 1827, Brown had placed a drop of dust-filled water beneath his microscope and noticed something odd. The bits of dust in the droplet were moving all over the place, shivering randomly. It wasn't until Einstein revisited Brown's observations for his own paper that he found an explanation. The dust wasn't shaking on its own. It was being pushed around the water by molecules that were invisible to the naked eye. Though the molecules would jostle the dust grains on all sides equally most of the time, they could also bump them from one side without warning, sending them careening elsewhere. And although it was Einstein who had uncovered the truth, today the concept is known as Brownian motion. But Einstein didn't sit still. He continued to research and analyze for the next 50 years. For example, in 1917, he'd been theorizing about something he called spontaneous emission. It was a phenomenon that occurred when an atom charged with photons left its high-energy state by emitting those photons, which dropped into a low-energy state. The process also worked the other way around, too, with low-energy atoms absorbing photons to advance to a higher-energy state. But Einstein had a problem. He wanted to accurately calculate the kind of radiation these atoms gave off, but other physicists were finding vastly different results in their own experiments. So Einstein went back to the drawing board. He looked at his formulas and hypothesized that photons moved together when they were in the same state. If the photons traveled in one formation, then a high-energy atom would emit its own photon in the same direction. That had been the missing piece of the puzzle. And so Einstein changed his theory from spontaneous emission to stimulated emission. Thirty years later, when physicists used mirrors to reflect a stream of photons, they called their discovery this, light amplification by stimulated emission of radiation, in honor of Einstein's paper. But that name was just too long for normal conversation, so they simply shortened it to laser. 
And those lasers are now used in military weapons, DVD players, and even toys that we can annoy our cats with. As for his work on Brownie in Motion, well, it's been used to analyze how stock market prices change over time and to predict the performance of markets around the world. And six years after publishing his article on capillary action, it found its own real-world application. A company from Pennsylvania had been looking for an alternative to cloth towels, which often became home to mold and disease from frequent use. What the company eventually produced was disposable, inexpensive, and absorbent. The Scott Paper Company unveiled their new paper towels in 1907. And ever since, Einstein's theory of capillarity is used every time someone needs to clean up a big spill. Sure, Albert Einstein knew a lot about the speed of light and theoretical physics, but he also contributed to some of the most important scientific discoveries in history. He may well have run into a few bumps along the way, but he wasn't the kind of guy to cry over spilt milk. Because if he did, he knew he had the perfect tool to mop it right up. I hope you've enjoyed today's guided tour of the Cabinet of Curiosities. Subscribe for free on Apple Podcasts or learn more about the show by visiting curiositiespodcast.com. This show was created by me, Aaron Mankey, in partnership with How Stuff Works. I make another award-winning show called Lore, which is a podcast, book series, and television show. And you can learn all about it over at theworldoflore.com. And until next time, stay curious. Thank you.